0: Bibles tonight will be in Ezra chapter number one as we're going through the book of Ezra. And i uh, just give you a little recap of what we looked at last week. Again, we looked at the very first few verses there in the book of Ezra, and we caught a glimpse of the king of Persia, then the prophecy that was shared, the proclamation of the king, and then we finally looked at the providential hand of God. So tonight as we continue looking at This study of the book of Ezra, we're going to look at the rest of chapter number 1 with the beginning of the process of the return of the Jews. Again, they were in captivity at this point in time, and uh, the Lord had called them out of that captivity in Babylon and was bringing them back home. So let's look here. We'll be in Ezra chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading of verse number 5 tonight. Ezra chapter 1, beginning of verse number 5 says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, and all them, whose spirit God hath raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessel of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Meredith the treasurer, and number them unto Sheth-Bazar, the prince of Judah. Tonight, as we look at this, again, we're going to continue looking at this, and we'll cover uh, the rest of the verses as well. But again, we're understanding what happened after they were in captivity for these 70 years and as they were returning back to their homeland. But let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message tonight. Lord, again, we do thank you for allowing us to meet this evening, to be able to open up your word once again, and learn from it, and see how it applies to where we are today. Pray that you would help us, Lord, as we study this. Speak to our hearts, direct and guide, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, stop and think about the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra was uh, a time of restoring biblical faith, Uh, in the nation of Israel. They had, again, gone into captivity for 70 years. Uh, There was some times, again, that they would... had no idea that God was still there. I'm sure they doubted it as they were enduring different trials and struggles in their lives. Long before Ezra's time, again, was when they were sent into captivity. So uh, Ezra probably didn't remember anything about what it was like living in Jerusalem. There were many there that uh, didn't understand that time frame. So again, this is a new generation that's coming on that was taking on this idea. But God had judged the rebellion by sending them into captivity. If you recall, we studied this on Wednesday night as we were looking at the minor prop we kind of get a better understanding of what had happened and how really rebellious the nation of Israel was. Oftentimes they were sitting to uh, captivity and they were uh, persecuted by other nations because of that rebellion. And this is exactly what we see here. Again, um, God had sent many different prophets to warn the nation of Israel, to warn them that God was going to judge them if they didn't turn from their ways. But yet they didn't listen. And 70 years had passed at this time. They... uh, had set up, again, gone back and, and, and been this situation. We go back and look in Daniel, as we've often probably remember at the beginning of the book of Daniel, how he was taken and brought into captivity. That was the be- very beginning of this. And now we come to the beginning of their return as they are coming back. We see, first of all, uh, in this process of going back, the call of God. So that's the first thing I want you to see is the call of God. Many of the families had decided to go back to Jerusalem. Now, uh, stop and think about this for a moment. The king had said, okay, you can go back home. But not everybody said, woo we're going to go. There were some that stayed back. Now, we don't understand. We don't really know why they stayed. Maybe they weren't financially able to make that big trek. Uh, Maybe they physically couldn't go. Uh, We don't really know all there is to know about who went, why they I mean, we know who went. We get a list of that we'll cover next week. But uh, we don't know why some of them stayed back. But there were some that were remaining there in, Jeru- uh, excuse me, in Babylon instead of going back to Jerusalem where they were originally from. Again, most of these that were in this time frame were born there in captivity. Babylon was home. Uh, you know, as I was studying this, I started thinking about the nation of Israel as they were in Egypt. You know, when God called them out of there, they were, uh, many of them were, had been there for many, many years that that was home to them. They, they didn't know anything other than being in Egypt, just like the nation of Israel here didn't know anything different than being in Babylon. They didn't remember Jerusalem. They weren't born in Jerusalem. They were born here. This was their livelihood. This is the places that they knew, they understood. This is the house that they lived in. This was the streets that they grew up on. And all their possessions, all that they owned was all here. So again, it's, it's different to, to be able to pack things up and move to another location. There was a sense of comfort. There was a sense of security here because they knew what to expect. They knew what was there. They knew how to handle everything that was going on, even though they were in captivity. For many of them that grew up, uh, many people that grew up in the same town, uh, it's very difficult for some of them to leave because they're accustomed to where they're at. Now, we spent a lot of time... Uh, going from place to place in the military, we, we kind of understand what it means to, to pack up and move. Okay, we've been here long enough, it's time to go. And honestly, there were a few times when my wife was like, you sure we're not ready to go yet? Because I'm ready. <laughs> She's kind of get that five-year itch where it's just time to pack up and go. Um, so there was a lot of places we went. There were some great places we were able to spend time with. There was a lot of people we enjoyed. A lot of people, a lot of families that we were close to and that we're still close to today. So we're thankful for those opportunities that we've been able to travel around the world. Because again, we stop and think where it has brought us. Right here. And we're certainly thankful to be here. To, to love the people that are here. And to be a part of their lives. And for you to be a part of our lives. Again, you are our family. And uh, we, we love being here. We love being a part of it. And, and God has brought us through different transitions. And different times for a reason. And this is what was happening with the nation of Israel. They'd come to the point of God said, Okay. You, you suffered enough. You've had enough penalties. Uh, your, your, your penalty time is over. You can get out of the penalty box. Whatever it is, it was time to move on. So again, they were packing up their things. They were trying to head back to where God brought them from. Again, Jerusalem and Israelites, this was their hometown. But when you do that, when you move, although we had somebody there to, to help us transition, they didn't have anybody. They said, it's time for you to go. Well, okay, where are we going to go? How are we going to get there? There's some dangers that could have happened as they were traveling from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Uh, Again, it's not like they could jump in their car and get on the interstate and fly back home. It wasn't that way. They had to pack up and they would uh, more than likely travel together for safety reasons. But what would happen when they got there? You ever stop and think about that? What what happened to... uh, this is my land. Uh, go back to what happened with Joshua. Joshua said, okay, your tribe, you get, this, you get this section. And he appointed everyone their portion of land, right? So do we go back to that place? You know, I, I, in my mind, I, I would ask a lot of questions. And we'll, as we look at the names next week, and the reason that there's names in uh, the, the second chapter of the book of Ezra was so they could get accountability of what they possessed. Yeah, you can go back to your family's land if you can prove that you're part of that family. Hmm. So that, that gets your wheels turning a little bit for next week. But anyway, that's what they were able to do. They were able to go back to the, the place to where their, their family had been given. So uh, a lot of questions were in their mind. What's going to happen? Uh, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to uh, provide for my family? How am I going to uh, get the crops to start growing? And all these different things. There's a lot of questions as these uh, Israelites were moving back to the, what they called their homeland. What were they to expect? What were they going to do? Well, they had to start their lives completely from scratch. While facing the difficulties, there was a lot of different oppositions that they were trying to to overcome. But they made a choice that they were going to serve God. That they were going to do what God had called them to do. That was their calling. Tonight, I want to ask you, what is your calling? What has God called you to do? Every one of us that are saved have a calling of God. We can go back and look in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5, where it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctify thee and ordain their prophet unto the nations. God had established something for Jeremiah to do. He knew what he had called him to do, whether he accepted it or not was his choice, just like it is for us. God calls us. God has got uh, given us something to do. If we are willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. But what has he called us to do? This specific plan for Jeremiah was to follow him, to be that prophet. And although you may think, well, I I don't think I'm called to be a prophet. I, I don't think I'm called to do this or I'm called to do that. But have we sought God enough to figure out what it is He has called us to do? The first part of the plan that we need to look at and understand is that idea of repentance and salvation. That is for everyone. Every one of us need to seek that and and obtain that, first of all, before we do anything else. Hosea chapter 6, verse number 1 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. God is there to help us and direct us and get us on track where we need to be. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Salvation has to be number one. It is the most important thing you will ever do in your life. And and I know you've heard this before. I've said it a million times. But it's that important. Again, salvation is what we must do to start anything with God. God wants our relationship restored to Him. And it requires us seeking that forgiveness and for our sins to be forgiven. Every Christian, again, has a talent, has some type of ability that has been given to them when they were saved. Again, God has given us something that we can be used uh, to glorify God, to exalt God, to lift Him up and serve in the church. And there's some people say, well, you know, uh, uh, He didn't give me this and He didn't give me that. He gave all of us something. The question is, are we willing to use it? Do we want to give that back to God? Jeremiah's calling was a prophet. You can look at Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, and Paul. They were all called to be in some type of leadership position. Do you have any talents in music? Do you have talents in teaching? Uh, Do you have talents in, in organization or leading? Others exhibit mercy or encouragement. There's a variety of things we could look at when looking at this idea of spiritual gifts and what God has given us. But the question is, we've got to be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to answer that call. I'm going to do what you want me to do, whatever it may be. Because again, as we are part of the body of Christ, it takes different people, uh, different abilities to make the entire body function as it should. Your calling will help God's building. God uses us to build the church and to build up believers as well. We are His hands and His feet in the ministry. But for this to happen, we must surrender to what it is He would have us to do. Sometimes that submission is obedience, and it causes us to step out of our comfort zone. You ever had been stretched by the Lord? Uh, Hey, let's do this. And He leads us somewhere where we may not have been before, doing something we may not have done in the past. And that's something we've got to be willing to say, "Uh, Yes, Lord, I'll do it. Mm." Yeah, scared to death, I understand that. (laughs) I'm standing up here tonight. Why? Because the Lord had to stretch me. And, and put me where he wanted me. But it all came down to me saying, yes, I'll do it. And that's what we've got to understand. God wants to use us. He wants to build not just this church, but he wants to build individuals to build each other and help them as they're going through difficult times. This can only be done when we know that God is the only one that can get the glory for what we do. You know, when he stretches you, when he puts you in a place where you may not be comfortable doing something. You know, it's not going to be something you say, well, look how great I am. I can jump over here. I can do this. Never done it before, but look how wonderful I am. It's not that at all. It's God says, I'm going to get the glory for that. So again, we've got to answer and say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. We can give and receive encouragement from one another, allowing the walls of this church to be brought down to the ground that we would surrender to him fully and completely. Whatever it is, your will is for my life. You know, too many times I think we get in churches where people say, well, I can't do that. Well, I can't do that. And it gets to be the automatic answer for many people. I can't do that. Or, well, somebody else always does that. You know, we all get our routine. Well, I always do this, and I always do this, and I always... We're part of a body. We're all to work in unity, the Bible says. So uh, we need to work together. Bring new ideas. Bring new thoughts. Uh, again, although somebody may have been working in this ministry for for their entire lifetime, it's not saying that they do everything right and perfect in the only way. It, again, it's one of those scary things that you find in church called change. There's nothing wrong with change as long as we're not changing this. So, uh, uh, and with that, you saw the ribbons on the wall and thinking, oh, what is that? You know, it used to be we had to have a card table. We had to have a Christmas card table. So this way everybody could bring their Christmas cards. And there was some issues with that. And so now we've got something different. We've got ribbons on the wall. It's got names up there. So you're able to put cards up there. You're decorating the church, but you're also uh, getting to know people a little bit more. So don't be scared of change. Just surrender and say, yes, Lord, whatever your will is, I'm going to do. Even the little things, such as a ribbon on the wall. If God is calling us, and wanting us to build this church and be a part of it, then we've got to know what our role is and be willing to do whatever He asks us to do. The second part of this process we see tonight in Ezra chapter 1 is the collection of goods. We go from the calling of God to the collection of goods. God not only stirred the hearts of Cyrus to grant freedom to the captives, but He also stirred the hearts of the Jews to get them to want to go back to their homeland. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh to do both to will and to do His good pleasure. This was a major step since most of them, again, had never been to this homeland. Never been a part of Jerusalem or know anything about it. This would be a major ordeal because for the first time they had to collect all their possessions and carry them, as verse number 6 says. Look there with me again. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, With goods, with beasts, with precious things. Besides all that was willingly offered. Think for a moment, living in one place for 70 years. How much stuff would you collect? (laughs) Uh, I just think of the the short time we were in in certain spots. And um, every time we moved, it was a time to clean everything out. So we we had a... uh, a continual purging, if you would, of, of, of the junk you would collect, it seems. But can you imagine for 70 years being in one location and collecting stuff? And again, it wasn't just one family. This was a generational thing. You had mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, grandpa, and grandma, and grandma, and, and on down. The, they lived longer then than they do today. So you can imagine how many generations were all together and the stuff they had to collect. Now, uh, again, go back and understand that they didn't take anything into captivity. They had nothing with them. So they had to collect it while they were there. So uh, you're here in a different land. You're there for 70 years. Uh, Again, it's captivity. So maybe the stuff that they collected was not really that important. may not have been all that precious or, or good things. But you still collect it. And you get attached to it in some ways, whatever it may be. But... They had to take all these things, the pots, the pans, the plowing instruments to to help them. Grandma's quilt, the rocking chair, all these other possessions that they had in their their lives and, and take them back to Jerusalem. Of course, there were more things that they had to think about. It was more than just repairing or building homes once they got there. They were also to rebuild the temple. Now, we know and understand that God required certain things to rebuild his temple. It had to be a certain way. The furnishings and all that was to go on uh, had to come with that. We find that they carried their own possessions, but they also carried the spoils of the past kings. Look at verses 7 through 11 with me. It says, Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and hath put them in the house of his gods, Lowercase g there, notice that. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Methra. Methra. Meth, Methra. Metharath. I knew how, that guy. I feel like Nathan couldn't get the names right either tonight, so you're in good company. Uh, the treasurers I numbered them into uh, Shashbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them. Thirty chargers of gold. A 1,000 chargers of silver, 9 and 20 knives. Why, why is it so specific, that many knives? Something to think about. 30 basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, 410, and other vessels, A 1,000. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. And all these did Shethbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. So all that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen 70 years prior to this was now being returned to its rightful place. 5,400 pieces of silver and gold, basins and chargers and knives, and all the sorts of these other vessels were carried back to Jerusalem. So not only did they have their own caravan of their own, maybe their camel, and it was loaded down and, and everything else, but hey, we've got the stuff that the king is giving back. And it's got to go back and set up in the temple. So now you've got to find a way to carry these other items. These other 5,400 pieces of precious stuff. Again, this was not just uh, uh, something cheap. It was gold and silver. These precious items. We find mention here that the king designated a man by the name of Shaphazar to keep count and to be responsible This man is none other than Zerubbabel. If you continue, as we'll look uh, in the coming weeks in the other chapters, this was, uh, again, just a different account written by a different name. Uh, I'd mentioned before that chapter 1 was a little different than some of the other ones because it was even written in a different language. So this is why you find a different name here versus what we find in the rest of the book of Ezra. But this was Zerubbabel. Uh, He was the man that was in charge of keeping count of all that was being brought. He was the head of the tribe of Judah. And God blessed the people of Israel through King Cyrus by moving him and returning all the valuable things that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple 70 years prior to this. It seems kind of unlikely. Why in the world would a king give up all these things? Here this gold, this silver, these precious items. And he says, uh, hey, not not only am I going to let you go, but here, why don't you take this stuff back with you? That doesn't happen. Why would a king do that? Again, we believe it's because it was directed by God to do this. God blessed the people of Israel through King Cyrus by moving him and uh, getting him to to return these things back so they could set the temple back up. This seems um, insignificant. What was so important about these treasures, these 5,400 pieces that were mentioned? It, It was nothing really significant about the gold or the silver or the charger, the knives and these things. It was just showing the importance of how God looks at even the smallest things. And says they're important to him. Your, your, your small things are important to God. The little things we do are important to God. We may think that, well, I teach a small class in a small town, in a small church. And I'm not making that big of a deal, but you are. You are. You are. You make a difference in people's lives. And that's the important part of understanding what we do as you minister here. And that's why it's important that we have the different people in places that are fulfilling that need. I reflect on what Ms. Johnson had said being sick and one of the kids saying, I hope you're feeling better. We missed you. That's one thing coming from an adult, right? You know. Oh, yeah, I hope Ms. Johnson's doing well. You text her, give her a call, whatever. But for a little kid to come up and say, Hey, I missed you. Hope you're feeling better. That'll melt your heart. It goes to show that we're making a difference in people's lives. So no matter what it is, you may think how small and insignificant it may be. It means something to God. Even the knives. Again, it mentioned an exact number of how many knives that were there. Why? Because the little things mean something to God. And this is why it's important for us to understand and apply what we are doing. As we are collecting goods, each other. As we are collecting the memories that we are sharing. As we collect as a body of believers to come together to worship God. All these things are important to Him, just like they're important to us. It means something to me when people come to church. It means something to me when they're not here. And I wonder where they're at, if they're sick or or what's going on. It means something to all of us. And again, it shows that God is concerned even about the little things in life. This account should show us that we need to place our faith in God. To understand what it is that He wants us to do. To figure out what the call is for our lives. And understand that He's going to provide all that we have need of abundantly. Above all that we can ask or think, the Bible says. He may keep every promise that he's ever made. And that's something we need to hold on to and understand. Nothing is too small or too difficult for him. Our job is simply to have faith and follow him. So we find the call of God in the collection of goods in the latter part of chapter number one. So now it's our turn to surrender our lives to God and make sure we answer that call. What is it that God wants us to do? How is it that he wants us to serve?